Good morning. It is good. It is good to be here. It is good to be in the Lord's house, a place that we can come and gather and worship and praise, and we can even be together as a family to mourn the loss of someone that we love. And you know, it, it does my heart good to see y'all. Uh, Brother Kevin called me yesterday about four o'clock or so. And he said, Brother Dustin, he said, uh, he said, I need you to be on standby. He said, I plan to be at church in the morning. He said, but I don't know if I will. He said, I'll let you know in the morning how things transpire with Harry. And I told Brother Kevin, I'll have something. The Lord reminded me I need to be instant in season and out of season which is not a problem. I've got a ton of messages. It's just usually hard to find one that really is what God wants. So I went to bed last night knowing good and well that I'm going to hear from Brother Kevin one way or another. He'll let me know if he's going to be here or not. I was up at 4 o'clock in the morning. Just couldn't sleep, restless. Laid there, tossed, turned back and forth. Just couldn't really sleep. Then Brother Kevin texted me at 6.15 informing me that Harry had passed. Well, I knew it was, it's game on now. There's, there's no backing up. I've got to go forward. I can't call him and say, uh, I can't do it. And so the Lord had already begun to lay on my heart really the direction uh, to go. Uh, if you'll make your way back to the book of James, if you were here Wednesday night, um, I began to try to expound the best I could on uh, a single attribute of God, and that is his immutability, his unchangeableness. Uh, we do serve a God that makes no mistakes. We serve a God that when our lives are out of whack and in chaos and are turned completely upside down by a single event, we can go back to the same God that's not changed before there was anything. He was constant. I, I mentioned Wednesday night, I don't like the phrase that most preachers use, that he stepped out into nothing. Nothing means that there had to be something there before. There was absolutely God before anything. Before he formed the earth, before he formed the sun, before he fingerprinted the stars, before he made man, God was God. And he has not changed one bit. So, Wednesday night, I, I, I began to go through this. And we first, I, I, I tried to uh, speak to the mutability of his person, of who he is. We said that he was eternal. He says, I am that I am. I'm the one and only. There is no other one. No matter what this world says, I am the same God that has always been. Then we, we talked about his, uh, that he's the hypostatic union in Christ. He's every bit Christ, but he's every bit God. They're perfectly matched. 
You know, you learn in free school that you got to have every, the right amount of blue to the right amount of red to get the right amount of purple. That's the same way it was with the tabernacle, with the curtain between the Holy of Holies. It was blue and red, and yet there was perfect. It was perfectly all the way through. And then we spoke to his person as the Holy Spirit. And we made the, the closing statement there that uh, we as Christians may quench and vex and, and hurt the Holy Spirit in our own lives, but it doesn't change who He is. He's still the, the speaker of Christ. He's still the one that exalts Christ. He's still the one drawing you and I back to the place to be in fellowship with God. Then we talked about the immutability of His practice. God does practice some things. His practice is that he makes an oath. And when he makes an oath, it's unbreakable, it's undeniable, and it is unchangeable. What God says he will do is what he's going to do. What he has promised to do for you and I is what he will do for you and I. Now, it's not going to be when we want it, but it's in perfect timing in our lives. Then we said that he's immutability or immutable in his counsel. His counsel, it changes not. And I love that uh, Psalms thirty three eleven says, The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generation. It doesn't matter uh, what you and I think, his counsel is there, it stands. What he said will happen in the revelation. Now, if you miss Sunday school, that's shame on you, because it's really good to listen to Jay get stumbled over by everybody asking questions about it. But what happens at the end of Revelation 21 or 22:21 is what's going to happen. Everybody in Christ will be there. All of the enemies of Christ have been defeated, and it's a glorious time to be at the feet of Christ. Now Harry's there before we you and I are. But I'm waiting to get there. But he's immutable in his hope too. God's hope is that salvation is offered to man. And there is no other way than through Christ. Doesn't matter what anybody says. You're not going to ever get God's salvation unless you come through Christ. And that's your hope. You're here lost today, I'm telling you. I know your parents have told you you're good, but the Bible says you're wretched. Your family says that you're a good person, but I'm telling you you're horrible and detested. There is no hope for you other than Christ. There is no hope for the man that walks in darkness other than to look and turn to the glorious Christ that hung upon Calvary, who raised again, who was accepted at his ascension into heaven. Look, we talk about the death, burial, and resurrection, but without the the approval of the ascension of Christ into heaven, salvation still could not have been offered. He had to be accepted by God. That's the hope that changes not. But I'd like to finish this morning just two points. And I'll try to be as quick as I can. I wanted to speak thirdly on his immutability of his presence. The immutability of God's presence. Now, God's presence can be seen really and three areas of Christ's life. You find that one, he's present at his birth. 
God's presence is at His birth. Even though Christ was most vulnerable as a babe, uh, you, any of you that have children know that the early years of a, really the first six, seven, eight months of a child's life uh, is crucial. You got to keep them safe. You got to you got to beat every, beat family members off of them because you don't want germs passed to them. You don't want to deal with sickness. You don't want to because it's hard to to gauge what a baby's going through. Man, we only can do so much as a as humans. Look, I, I'm lucky. I've got Miss Betsy on speed dial, so if something happens, I call her up. But before I ever get to Miss Betsy, I'm trying to figure out what is going on. But this is the most crucial time in Christ's, uh, Christ's life, is that you find that he's vulnerable here. And yet, though Christ was vulnerable, God was still God. He was not vulnerable to the substance that Christ was facing as a human, but he was still the very God that said, I will join him. I will be union with him. It will not change what sickness may come his way. I'm still going to be God. I'm still sitting there. Uh, good uh, God's glory, again, uh, we're talking about there at the birth of Christ, and I'm trying to get all my, my, not, my, my notes together in my head. He was there at the birth of Christ, union with Christ. And yet you find that even after he's birthed and he's there, he's still magnifying uh, his glory to the shepherds. To the shepherds, these, these lowly men out in the darkness... If ain't none of you ever been outside where it's dark and no street lights and all you got is the stars and the moonlight, your eyes adjust and you can pick up on some little details that's going on out there. But these men were sitting there. Some of you say by a campfire, maybe so, I don't know. But God shows up. The heavens burst forth. The angels begin to praise Him, begin to give glory unto God. And you can't, can't begin to understand that. But yet God is manifesting Himself to these shepherds and that they are able to hear the good news already. He's immutable in His presence. He didn't change where He was, whether in Christ or there before the shepherds. He was still God. He was still the same one that the next day would, they would be offering sacrifices to. But yet he had already made his presence known to the shepherds. His mother, uh, Mary, had already seen the face of God and didn't even realize it. She was looking at the one that was there. But not only in the birth, but at his baptism. Uh, we know that uh, Brother Kevin will explain it a lot better than I can ever explain it. But go to the baptism of Christ, and what do you find? As Brother Kevin said, you hear the audible voice of God. The audible voice. Not only did John even declare who he was, that he was Christ, he was the chosen one, that he was the perfect son of God. Yet, you hear him speaking. On that very day, that very 
the moment that Christ comes up out of the water, you find that though God is in Christ, he is still, he is still speaking out of heaven. It didn't change where he was. He was obedient to the scriptures that he had already forewritten, but yet he's still sitting on the throne speaking out of heaven, approving what was going on, approving that he had uh, that Christ had done right. In Genesis, we have the Godhead speaking amongst the Godhead uh, to form man in his likeness. He he's speaking. And so we have the Godhead and all its immutability bringing man to life and into the presence of an immutable God. And then in Matthew, we have the presence of God, uh, the Godhead working in view of the people. The presence of God at the baptism of Christ is so, so important is that it makes God no longer just a, a figment of somebody's imagination, but it makes him very real. You got to understand that that only up until uh, God has only spoken through certain men, but nobody had ever heard God audibly. And here at the baptism of Christ, John declares who Christ is, and yet when he comes up, not only do they see the Holy Spirit descending like a dove unto Christ, but they hear, "This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well." Please, it makes a God that nobody has ever heard, heard. It makes him now tangible, real. These people have gone now to knowing this is what was set up before us to do. To He is the God that spoke to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. He is the one that touched the hollow of his thigh. He is the one that brought us out of Egypt. He is the one. Here is the voice of the one. But it didn't change uh, his presence. He's still God. Then upon the crucifixion of Christ. God was still God. I know you've all heard the different theories of, of Christ's crucifixion. The swoon theory and... Even the, some of the people that I've read after, they, they speak that uh, the Holy Spirit left Christ. He was no, more, no longer God uh, when they nailed him to the tree. He was every bit man. He was suffering. The problem with that is that if Christ was just a man, then there's nothing he did for me. If he was just a man without God upon Calvary. That, that's hard to believe, but if you think about it, if, Christ, if God is no longer in Christ at his crucifixion, then salvation for you and I then is nothing. And we're believing in a lie. But when you put God back into Christ there at Calvary, and you believe what the Scripture says, that he was still there, that he was every bit God, he was pouring his life out, he was giving everything, he was going the hundred miles... What do, you, what do you find? You find God is still sitting on the throne. It didn't change. His presence has never changed. Where he was at had never changed. He never left the throne. He's never defeated. He's never given it up. He's never vacated it. It is still, he still sits there, and yet he is still suffering 
there at Calvary for you and I. He's still agonizing over it. He knows what he's about to give up. He knows that he's about to be departed from himself for just a few short days. But it did not change who God was. His presence was there at Calvary. But yet, he still was in heaven. God is holy and just, and God in Christ, uh, Jesus was still in unison with God. For only God can reconcile a sinner unto himself through Christ. Nothing else will reconcile you and I to God. Not a thing other than Christ Jesus himself. Then lastly, the immutability of his power. We know that God is all-powerful. But do you know exactly how powerful God is? Have you ever thought about the power that it took God to cast Satan out of heaven? It took every bit of God's power to throw the one, uh, a created being out from his presence because of sin. It took everything. And Christ said that he beheld him like lightning. That means he was traveling so fast, so quickly, that it was a blur. It was just there and gone. It is the same this power that God has to cast heaven or Satan out of heaven is the same power when you go to Calvary and you think about what is said that it darkened the sun. Now I'm of the, the persuasion and you ain't going to change my mind. When it says darkened the sun, that means the sun literally was darkened. It's not some curtain put up over it. It's not nowhere. The whole earth without the light of the sun because he knew that the Son of God was going out, but yet he was going to raise up the third day. But in the midst of the darkness of that sun, let me tell you something. The veil was rimped. The people could go in. We can get a hold of a God that is immutable because he changes not, because he wants sinners to come to him. This immutability and power is the same power that not only casts Satan out, not only darkened the sun, but will melt the elements of the old earth. Second Peter 3.10 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are there within therein shall be burned up. It didn't say the earth itself was going to burn itself. It said it's going to be burned with a great heat. That's the power of God destroying everything that is wicked and corrupt and restarting, starting again. But it's the same power that will do that. It's the same power that darkened the sun. It's the same power that casts Satan out because it changes not. God does not do things half-heartedly. He does them with everything He's got. Every bit of His power. But it's the same power, this unchangeable power that God has to save sinners. Psalm 62, 1 says, truly, the psalmist said, truly my soul waiteth upon God, for him cometh my salvation. 
Acts 4, 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. This same power that darkened uh, the sun, that same power that cast Satan out of heaven, the same power that will burn up the earth, is the same power that it takes to bring one man to Christ. It's the same power that must convict the heart of the wicked man, show him his deed of Christ, to show him that he is wretched, that he is deserving of hell, but yet there is hope in Christ. It is the same power. It is nothing less than everything that God has got to bring one to Christ. You say, well, it wasn't that hard for me to come to Christ. Do you understand how God had to persuade and make you understand of what you were? When your, your flesh is saying, well, you're not really that bad. There's nothing really wrong with you. And yet God is telling you day in and day out, you're a sinner. You're bound for hell. You deserve it. But I've made a way. I've made a way for you to find hope. And that's Christ. But you've got to yield. You've got to surrender. You've got to agree with me that you are what I say you are. I cannot lie to you. I will not lie to you. You are who I said you are in my word. Wretched. Vile. Disgusting. Do you agree? Your flesh says, no, I'm not that bad. And yet God is using every bit of his power. He's showing you and showing you until you either say, yes, I am, or no, I'm not, and you turn. But one way or another, you're turning to the right or to the left. Which way do you go? For those that turn to the right, they find hope in Christ. And those that turn to the left raise their fist in rebellion. And God cast them into hell you can't tell me that God don't. Yes, he does. He will cast, if he casts Satan out from his presence, he'll cast a sinner that rebels against him, that refuses to accept the grace and the mercy that he has in, in Christ. This God that we know and we serve and we call our Father, he is an immutable God. He changes not. It doesn't matter your circumstances. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It is the same God that you can grab hold of in the middle of the night, in the midst of a tragedy, in the midst of sickness, and grab hold of Him and know that He is going to be the same God that when everything else is done and over with, is still there for you. Man walks out. Sickness comes and goes. Death is inevitable. But it is the same God in every bit of it that you and I as Christians can lay hold of and hold tightly to. Even when we don't understand all that we have to go through, it is the same one that we grow, draw up close to. We sit in His lap. He's the same one in Psalms 91 that hides those underneath His wings that get so close to Him that He shields them. He's the same God that protects you. He's the same God that instructs you. He's the same God that will take you from point A to point B. Hebrews 2.10 says he's the captain of our salvation. I preach a message out of Hebrews 2.10. Talking about how he's the great captain. He knows some things about you. 
He knows a whole bunch about you and I that we don't want to admit to nobody else. But he is the same God that changes not, no matter what you and I have to go through. God's immutability differs from his creation and being self-existent, self-sufficient, and eternal. The world is looking for stability and consistency, and yet man, yet in man there is none. But we turn to God, and we find that he is immutable. He is a simper idiom. He's always the same. He's always the same in creation, but he's always the same in the Christian life. He is our God. Miss Angie, will you come?